quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's very clear. Uh, when I was talking about going back, when I saw how I looked, I looked up pictures of us in 2001, me, you, and some other people who were reporting with me. This is what I found. You oh, look that, that was me in that, that was in 2000. That was me in like 1999. You look I, the I wasn't same. working. On yeah, you weren't working. I was in the city, right? But uh, I started. Actually, Cena called me the day after I ended up going to Afghanistan. What? Oh, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I saw pictures of you, um, and you, yeah, I mean, you haven't aged that much. No, I have. I appreciate it. You look better than I do. It's okay. But I wanted to make the record clear because yeah. obviously you were working, but that day will keep straight. No. And I stand by my statement. You look just as good or better today. Anderson, thank you very much. All right, I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Bill Maher is not just funny. He's savvy, especially when it comes to political prognostications. And he got a lot of buzz from last night's interview. And there will be even more after he breaks down the Democratic field and what he fears is to come tonight. Then, we've seen the possible future of the 2020 race. Biden and Trump exchanged blows today, and it was ugly. Which side is better set up for a war of who's worse? And how does a battle to the bottom make any of us better? That'll be our great debate. We also have John Stewart. Did you see the powerful plea he made today on behalf of 9-11 first responders and survivors? He shouldn't have had to make it. That's our argument. Never forget has been forgotten. Tonight, let's remember who and what matters and let's do it together. Let's get after it. Now, we know that Bill Maher has been funny and full of provocative insights for a long time. That's why Real Time on HBO is one of the highest rated shows in late night television. And he certainly held nothing back in our exclusive one on one. Ultimately, for Joe Biden, where do you think it leaves him? Do you think that he this spread in the polls right now is real and he'll stay there? Or do you think it's just identification? Well, I think he'll get knocked down. Yes, because it's early. always at this time. He is a return to normalcy. I don't think he's a lot of people's favorite, but he's a lot of people's second or third choice, and he's good enough. Hillary was a terrible candidate. That's absolutely true. She didn't help the situation with the emails in terms of how she handled it with her answers and her actions. Absolutely. No, right. And she committed obstruction of justice. If, if, now, Trump did, I think, in in much worse fashion. I go back and forth on impeachment because I feel like, yeah, it's the right thing to do. But if they impeach Trump, whoever the next Democrat is, you know they will impeach him Mm. because they don't care about the facts. Do you think he's winning? Yes. And I'm sick of winning. He's right. I got sick of winning. His winning. Remember, this is going to be, because it is Trump, the dirtiest campaign ever. Donald Trump should have been someone who made the Democrats go, wow, we got to get serious now. Too many people is what I see in the field. That alone looks silly when you have 23, 24 people. And some of them are... I don't even know what their raison d'etre is for running. I think a lot of this um, far-left political correctness is a cancer on progressivism. I think when you, when you talk to, to Trump supporters, they are not blind to his myriad flaws. But one thing they always say is he's not politically correct. I don't think you can uh, 
overestimate how much people have been choking on political correctness and hate it. All right, now let's hold on this for a moment because political correctness and what it means to the left, this is going to be a fertile issue in this election. And Bill Maher has been all over it for a long time, and he's often politically incorrect on purpose. He believes the left has made it a cancer. The question is, isn't political correctness supposed to be a cure? Let's get after it. So where's the line of decency and hyper-political correctness? I think decency, for, you know, I'm a born a Democrat. My parents were Democrats. We all loved your father. You know, they loved Kennedy. That's, you had two that, helpings of, of guilt in your life. Yeah, yeah. Your father was a Catholic. Yeah, yeah, your mother was Jewish. That's right. a lot of yes. guilt put on you. So, I mean, that's in my blood. I, like, I was never a big fan of, of a lot of the Republicans. But I think it's, you know, for, for liberals, I think it's just old school liberals. You don't have to worry about it. That's, that's why we are Democrats, because we are people who have compassion within us. I'm not saying the Republicans are without compassion, but sometimes they are. Mm. They're so more greedy and selfish. I'm you sorry. had one of the, I think, sharper members of the new class of Congress in, Congressman Porter from California. Okay, yeah. And she was having a take on what Joe Biden was trying to handle with the Hyde Amendment. And he got a lot of people upset with this in his own party. I want to remind people, if you didn't watch the show, I know you all did. But here's what Congress member Porter was saying about Biden's handling of the Hyde Amendment. Watch this. Even when he talked about it, he couldn't quite get the word out. It was like health care for women that might involve, you know, some pieces of you that are sort of... I was a professor. Better late than never for the student who gets it on the last day of class. I always counted on that kind of professor. But... She's funny. She's funny, she's smart, and she is insistent. Uh, You you always got to be ready uh, when Porter's going to come. So, is she right about Biden and how big a blow? I don't know. I think he was between a rock and the hard place because and he's going to be that way for the rest of this campaign, because right now, when he got in, sitting well with the traditional centrist Democrats who, again, make up most of the country, like 80 percent of that party identifies center. I get out in the country. You know, I tour a lot. I see this country. Uh, I did my last stand up special in Tulsa, Oklahoma. the chattering classes live in L.A. and D.C. and New York, and they don't know that there's a country out there. And there is. And in that country, Joe's very popular. But he also knows to get the nomination, he has to satisfy the left part of his base. And they are not going to—he he made that decision. He said, I'm not going anywhere unless I get right on this abortion issue. These people are firmly pro-choice. They don't want someone who's waffling on that. I'm going to get there. But— is he going to lose the people and those centrist people who have been his fans? Now, probably not too much, <clears throat> but we'll see. I mean, that's the art of politics is making both wings think you're for them. Mm. Do you think that it evidenced that there wasn't enough mm. thought that went in to the early stage of planning that he they had to know people were going to come at the inconsistency between being pro-choice and pro-Hyde Amendment. They don't go together logically. Right. The 94 crime bill, that this is going to come up again. It came up for Hillary. It's certainly going to come for you. What do we say? Do you think it reveals that they weren't ready? I think what it reveals is that people in this age don't understand that humans evolve, just like societies evolve. And, and by the way, to all these people who are so harsh on the past, there are things you're doing right now that are going to look bad in the future things we're doing right now. I mean, we used to smoke on airplanes. 
we thought it was a great idea to walk inside an enclosed aluminum tube and light up a Chesterfield. We don't do that anymore. We, we, you know, all these people who are so judgmental, I just want to say to them, stop prosecuting people back then who did things who, if you were around back then, you would have done them too. If you were around in the 80s, you would have worn the big shoulder pads because we all were doing that. So yes, Joe Biden is not perfect. None of us are. All you can expect from a human being is to evolve. He was rotten to Anita Hill. And, but, you know, what is he going to keep apologizing for it uh, until the end of his time? Does it mean there's got to be a new generation? With who doesn't who doesn't carry the objections of the current political class? I don't know. Or why not just somebody who has learned and moved on? I mean, this is the only country I can think of in history who doesn't seem to get something very fundamental, which is that in general, people older are wiser. That's the trade-off of life. When you're young, you're beautiful, and then you're not so beautiful. And when you're old, you're wiser. This is the trade-off. Now, of course, there are exceptions. There are dumb old people and smart young people, but in general. Yes, I'm okay with someone who has learned and grown and seen a lot and has experienced it and has seen patterns. You know, I like Mayor Pete, but I do think 37 is a little too young. A mm. little bit. So let's do this. You're not a soothsayer, obviously. You're not a mystic, <clears throat> but you have been uncannily early on some things that were going to happen in our political dynamic. Thank you. Yeah. Good, good to you. As somebody who guesses wrong on a regular basis, I respect when people guess right. Give me a feel for what you think about, not necessarily predictions, but what do you imagine happening going forward in whatever political way is relevant? One of those things, to take up your point, that I've been talking about for years now, almost three years, uh, that a lot of people are talking about now is that if he loses Trump, he won't go. I've been saying that since before he got elected, that if he loses the second time, if he loses the coming election, he, and Michael Cohen said that, Nancy Pelosi echoed, said that, a lot of people know. And I think that is what we have to worry about because a lot of people say, well, yes, it can happen here, meaning fascism, meaning something other than what we, is democracy. Now, I think we're already there. When the president of the United States is saying that the news is the enemy of the people, you know, I have a dictator checklist that I read on my show sometimes, things that no American president has ever done, but this president does. Appointing your family to key government positions. This is banana republic. So stuff. you think he wouldn't leave? That is one of them. I oh, absolutely think he will not leave. Now, that would be something, hopefully... Even the great Bill Maher is wrong about the president refusing to accept the results of the election if he loses. But what do you think? Let me know. Now, Maher wanted uh, President Trump gone yesterday. We know that. But what does he think the Democrats should do going forward? Does he believe in the impeachment route? His easy but complicated advice to Democrats next. Now, you may not always agree with Bill Maher, but the host of the wildly successful show Real Time on HBO has called a lot of things right, especially when it comes to politics. You heard him predict before that this president, he doesn't think he'll leave the White House if he's defeated. So how would that play out? And what about impeachment? Here's Bill Maher. He will tell his his rabid following that it's rigged, they're always out to get him. I mean, for someone who's had every advantage of life, it's amazing the way he can always say things are unfair to me. Poor Donald Trump, a white man born to great wealth. Oh, if I can only get a seat at the table in this country. And huh? yes, he identified so, with a base 
that yes. has exactly those issues Amazing. of being mm. underserved, uh, being uh, disenfranchised, and he connected. So yeah. you think if he loses, he doesn't leave. Give me another one. Another. What you think may happen going forward. I don't know. Based on the past, based on the fact that, again, appoints his children to the key positions, uses his uh, office for personal financial gain, um, talks about locking people up, lie so frequently the followers don't know anymore and they don't care. In that atmosphere, I sound like the godfather, no, anything is possible, but anything is possible. And if you talk about locking people up and you talk about the, you know, he talks about the, the enemy of the people, enemy of the people. I mean, I don't want to go to that place where we compare him to these fascists, but that is the phrase they used in the past. That's mm -hmm. not me. Enemy of the people. You create this atmosphere <clears throat> and we've already seen it. There have been two instances now, Caesar Soyak, the guy in Florida, mm -hmm. and the Coast Guard guy a few months I'm ago. well aware. Who have sent out bombs trying to decimate the top leadership of the Democratic Party, all the people Trump goes after. They sent out bombs to uh, the Obamas, the Clintons, yeah. Biden, Eric Holder. Us. Yes, exactly. And in that atmosphere, I don't know what's possible. And, you know, Trump talks about we have the tough people. Remember that? We have the mm -hmm. tough people. Okay, again, dictator stuff. I have the people with the guns. And he does. Now, the military, there are a lot of people in the military who do not like Trump for obvious reasons. He sides with countries that aren't us, made fun of John McCain, draft dodger. Why any of them are with him, I don't know. But the police? Oh, he's got the police. The police love him because he says you can do anything when you're in the police. You can shove their head, don't be so nice. So... That's really scary. I have the tough people. That shouldn't be what decides things in this country. Who has the tough people? Mm. You know what? Look, I mean, you put a lot of thought yeah. into this. There are some scary expectations. The hope oh, yeah. is always that people love the law the most if they're in the law business and that the country and its institutions are they bigger don't even know than any law. individual. That's what's scary about it. When they do polls of people, it's, it's frightening. They don't know the three branches of government. So how do they know or how, why would they care if one of them is being abrogated? You know, are we going to have the kind of system in this country where we have a parliament like lots of countries do, like Russia has a parliament, like we have Congress, but they're really just a, a, a joke. They yeah. don't really matter. And we're moving toward that. When Congress is subpoenaing people and asking for stuff, the law says you shall give the tax returns. And they just say, go. You think they should impeach? I do. At this point, I do. I think you kind of have to. You think and I, think a trap? It, I think it looks... I, again, I don't think his base can get any... They say, well, it'll rile up his base. Right. His base is riled. I don't think that's going to get any worse. And I think you look weak. And the Democrats' biggest problem is always looking weak. Would Turn it around. Wouldn't they do it? They would have done it on the first day. They would have impeached Hillary when she was in the ball gown from the inaugural and she hadn't done anything. <laughs> Okay. Bill Maher, <laughs> Sorry if I scared you. Not at all. Not at all. You just gave me a lot to think about. Okay. That's what you do best. Thank Good you. Good luck with the residency in Vegas. All right. I know it's going to be a hit. I hope you're not as right as you've been in the past about what may come in the future. But I appreciate you here and you're always welcome. Thank you very much, Chris. Bill Maher's been out there in Vegas for a while. There's still a few dates to see him in September and October. You go online, you'll find it. And I got to tell you, I hope Maher is wrong about the next election being the ugliest we have seen. But did you see President Trump and former VP Joe Biden spitting at each other today in Iowa? Who wins in a fist fight over which one of these two is worse? 
Let's use that as the start of a great debate. Next. All right, POTUS just wrapped his last event in Iowa, and surprisingly, he didn't mention Joe Biden once, even though he's all also in the Hawkeye state tonight. It's an odd turn after a full day of trading insults with the former vice president. I think he's the weakest mentally. Obama took him off the trash heap. Sleepy Joe. He's a sleepy guy. The president is literally an existential threat to America. Four years of Donald Trump will be viewed as an aberration in American history. A stunning display of childishness. Is this our future? Well, it's certainly our present in terms of starting tonight's great debate. We got two great people. We got Jenk Uger here and Anna Navarro. Anna, is this the winning ticket for Joe Biden? Go toe to toe, blow for blow. Look, I think so. And I think the best thing that's happened, one of the very good things that's happened to Joe Biden since launching this campaign is that Trump is obsessed with him. Trump keeps insulting him, keeps testing uh, nicknames. None of them quite stick. And so Trump has effectively made this into a general election campaign already with Joe Biden. He's pretty much ignoring the rest of the field and is laser focused and obsessed, clinically obsessed with Joe Biden. That's a great favor he's doing to Joe Biden. Well, let's look at why he might be like that. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look where Joe Biden is with the other Mm -hmm. Democrats. Quinnipiac came out with a couple of polls here that we're going to use. Uh, 30 to 19. Is that lower? Yes. But Biden had to come down because he's up largely because of name recognition and the field is going to have to catch him to a certain degree. How much? We'll see. But the number, Jenk, against Trump is probably what has Trump uh, trying to go after him. 53-40. Nobody beats him uh, like that in the rest of the field. But is this the way that he courts that left during the primary process, that they, he lets everybody know, Jenk, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be a battle to the bottom. Yeah, so I agree with Anna that uh, Trump is doing Biden a huge favor by attacking him, uh, and that makes even people like me who are progressive rally to Biden's uh, defense. But overall, I don't think that Biden is the better candidate against Trump because he's doing the same mistake that Hillary Clinton did. Uh, He's saying Trump's a bad guy, but we all know he's a bad guy. For the right wing, that's not the bug, that's the feature. No, you have to attack him on things that worked for him in 2016, being in favor of the uh, average American worker, which he's not. He's a normal, lying, sniveling politician. And a progressive can make that case because we're for higher wages. We're for getting health care for your families. We're for substantive policy uh, positions that are going to actually help your family in Michigan, Pennsylvania, et cetera. And what does Biden largely say? He does safe attacks against Trump. He's against what Trump said in Charlottesville. Of course, we're all against that. But he doesn't attack him on policy positions and he doesn't attack him where it hurts on how weak he is. And, and I think we need a stronger fighter to make, bring that message home. We don't want to make the same mistake we did in 2016. Right. And he is very similar to Hillary Clinton. So you have a little bit of a proposition set up here for the Democrats. Do you want to go with someone who's about compromise or polarize? And we put together a graphic of rankings uh, according uh, to uh, Lifetime or Uh, This is bipartisanship. Okay, these are the rankings of how much these senators over the years are like 250 of them. They ranked in terms of working with the other side to get things done. So the proposition becomes, Anna, do you want number 47 or do you want number 247? Right. Look, one of the the issues that, that Biden has is that 
He's run for president before. He's never been a front-runner before. This is a new position for him. And it means that practically everybody in the primary is shooting at Biden. That is what comes with the territory of being in the position of front-runner. Biden is smartly trying not to engage in the primary, trying not to attack his opponents in the primary, because I think he learned the lesson from 2016 when there was a lot of bitterness still left after Bernie Sanders dropped out between that camp and the Clinton camp, and there was not the level of unity that was necessary in order to beat Donald Trump. I think Joe Biden is trying to preserve that unity, and you're not going to see him engage in um, in, in, in primary tussles, uh, at least not at the beginning. Well, well doesn't at the ser- same time, doesn't serve everybody's going to be aiming at him. It doesn't serve him to, to punch down right now until the polls start to right. catch him. But that's a fair point. But I'm making a different uh, proposition to you, Jenk, which is um, you're saying a progressive. All right, Bernie Sanders is obviously a progressive. But to sell the American people that you get things done, somebody's going to convince them that we can do better than the polarization. Bernie Sanders is at the bottom of the list of working with the other side. Joe Biden's yeah. at the top in the field. Yeah. So, no, uh, Chris, you're talking about a different time. Uh, so right now, if you want to work with Republicans, you got to work with Donald Trump. I got no interest in that. No Democrat has any interest in that. You got to work with Mitch McConnell, the heart of darkness. He's more corrupt than Donald Trump is. When Joe Biden talks about how Dick Cheney was a great vice president and left him more power and how he liked working with Strom Thurmond, I don't want any piece of that. I I don't want to work with Republicans. I want to defeat them. And that is the essence of the problem with the Democratic Party. They are constantly reaching out to work with the Republicans on their turf. So if they want to do a deal where they do, for example, criminal justice reform, fine, great, I'll take it. I got no problem with that bipartisanship. But if they want to do more tax cuts for the rich, I do not want a corporate Democrat who is going to help them do that because it's bad on policy, but it's also bad on politics. The country is incredibly progressive. 76% of the country says raise taxes on the rich. Don't lower them. So we should pick someone that three quarters of the country agrees with. I would argue uh, with you that if if uh, if you want a progressive agenda, really who you should be aiming your attacks at is not Joe Biden. It's Elizabeth Warren. The reason Joe Biden is in the front right now is because Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are dividing that progressive vote amongst themselves. And this is very good for Biden, because we all learned from 2016 that Bernie Sanders is a stubborn old goat who's going to stay there till the bitter end, no matter what, even when it looks like he has no chance of winning. And so as long as Sanders and Warren are dividing that progressive vote, uh, you know, Joe Biden has got a a, a niche uh, all to himself. Listen, your problem is not Joe Biden. The people who support Joe Biden, their vote's not going to go to Bernie Sanders. Their vote's going to go to Pete Buttigieg or their vote's going to go to Kamala Harris. They prop For them, probably uh, Bernie Sanders right. is not their second option. Well, let's do this. We got to do this conversation in phases. Uh, and I'm loving having Jenk. I'm loving having you. So let's have this as a rolling conversation of as things move and as we see the state of play, come back in. Let's see who's more happy with where things are. Jenk, thank you. Anna, as always, thank you. Good luck with that comfort dog. All right. There's still the prospect of impeachment that could upend the election. All right. Where is it? Speaker Pelosi just had more to say about it. And so will another powerhouse in her party. There may be a shift in Congresswoman Katie Porter's stance on proceedings or not. Is there a decision? Let's take it to the professor next. All right. As Democrats continue their Hamlet routine, the Speaker of the House is talking impeachment. 
But it's not off the table. My obligation is to do whatever we do in the most effective way possible. I believe in the committee system and it will bubble up from there. Bubble up. What does that mean? That means the caucus and how many people want it. One member of her caucus still deciding is Congresswoman Katie Porter of California. Welcome to primetime. Called you Kim Porter by mistake in the tease. Uh, The the resemblance between you and the actress is striking, but uh, it was a mistake. So, Professor, good to have you on the show. Thank Um, you. Let me bounce some stuff off you. By the way, you were brilliant with Bill Maher. Uh, He said, too, you were very funny. Um, The idea of... Where your party needs to be with its nominee. I know you're going to say it's too early, but in terms of what you think the goal should be, what's the answer? So, look, I don't think we need an answer because this isn't my job to figure out. This isn't any commentators on the show and in your show. It isn't your job to figure out. This is the job of the American people. Democracy is a process. It's messy. I disagree with Bill Maher that there are too many candidates. I don't know what the right number of candidates is, and neither does he. So this I grew up in Iowa. I'm a sixth-generation Iowan before I moved to, to California, um, to the promised land. And Look, I think people will, this field will winnow down. People will make their choices. And having this conversation is really, really important. And I think efforts to cut it off and say, oh, it's got to be this candidate or it can't be that candidate. I'm not asking really, you to really cut really it unhelpful. off. And I think the conversation is important, but you're assuming it's a productive conversation. Well, so you know, far, I think it has been. I mean, chasing I, Biden, chasing Biden. That's what we've seen a lot of the last two weeks. Yeah, but look, Trump is going to be attacking somebody, and if he's attacking Biden, then so be it. Soon he'll tire of that, and he'll turn his his wrath. Well, I'm saying the Democrats else. have been chasing him, Congressman. Sure, but that's normal. I mean, this is what happens. There's always a front runner. There was a front runner last time. There was mm-hmm. a front runner before that. I, you know, I was in Iowa in 08 when President Obama ran, and at the time he was way at the back of the pack. Mm-hmm. We had yard signs over that winter in my house in Iowa for virtually every candidate. Every week they'd come by, they'd give us a different yard sign. The snow would fall. We wouldn't be able to see it. They'd come by and give us a different yard sign. It's normal. And so I think so long as we're seeing candidates be positive toward each other and a certain amount of criticism is healthy, the American people need to be reminded that criticism is about policy. Saying, for instance, I think Joe Biden was wrong on the Hyde Amendment and I'm glad he reversed his position. That's healthy political discourse. What Mm. Trump does is not. And so we actually need to see that healthy political discourse among the Democratic candidates. All right. So while I agree and accept the premise that the people will decide within your party who the nominee is, you will have a vote in deciding which direction you go with how to hold this president accountable. What do you believe? You are the professor, so let's get a little Socratic with this. What is your duty in this matter as Congress? So my duty arises when there is a vote. Um, I have to take a vote that reflects the facts as I know them and the law as it exists. Um, At this point, we haven't brought this to the floor. I will Mm -hmm. tell you that every day and increasingly every day in a really accelerating way, colleagues and I are having conversations about it. I talked about it again tonight with another colleague. So that dialogue back and forth with colleagues and that dialogue with people back in our districts is incredibly important. So the first couple months I was in office, I got maybe a dozen emails or phone calls about impeachment. Now we're getting hundreds and hundreds a week. But it's just really becoming on the American people's minds. But there's still a lot of confusion. There are still a lot of facts to set forth. And the president has created some of that misinformation. Mm -hmm. So by saying there was no collusion found by Mr. Mueller, he 
failed to mention that there was substantial evidence of obstruction of justice, not just one act, but four acts of obstruction of And there arguably was uh, evidence of collusion, which is a behavior, not a crime. They didn't find uh, sufficient proof of a criminal conspiracy. And the question becomes, uh, what is the most efficacious process for you guys? Because now I keep calling the Democrats Hamlet. To impeach or not to impeach? Don't you have to make a decision? Here's the process. Because right now it's death by a thousand cuts and it's really not getting anywhere. No, we do need to make a decision and we need to do it relatively soon. I think there is that sense of urgency that is building. Um, And I think part of what we're doing is we're trying to um, come together to have these conversations, to talk it over with each other. Because when we do take this action, when we do make this vote, and I think we probably are headed that direction, I think we want to have had those conversations and had a chance to ask questions and have them answered. I mean, I heard Speaker Pelosi today say that she doesn't want to, you know, she's tired of Donald Trump. She doesn't even want to talk about him. Mm. Um, I sympathize, but this is not a problem that we can wish away. True. This is something we're going to have to confront. You've got a duty. We've got a duty. We also have a duty to pass a budget. um, And we're tackling appropriations this week. Um, And so we have to keep doing our other work at the same time. But we can't kick this can forever. It is coming. Um, This question is coming. And I'm glad to have such a smart group of colleagues to be talking about with And look, I I don't think, I don't see it as binary and existential as so many do, impeach or not. And if you pick the wrong one, you're done. I don't believe that. I think you guys just have to make a decision, be clear about it, be strong, sell it to the American people, and then move one way or the other. You talk about appropriations. I want to ask you. Uh, Are you or anyone else that you're aware of on the Democrat side putting forth a meaningful appropriation bill specifically to help the kids on the border? No strings attached. Nothing else in there about bigger rule debates or anything. Just giving them what they need right now as the DHS acting secretary made his case yesterday. Well, I know that there is a bill that is being um, considered. I don't don't know if it's an appropriations amendment or a standalone bill, but I talked with a colleague about it today that would basically mandate that the DHS secretary meet the basic human needs of all children at the border, um, water, nutrition, medicine, clothing, all of those that. things. And they need money to do that. So we have appropriated money for the border. We're going to continue to appropriate money for the border, no doubt about it. Um, defending our country's borders is important and it does require resources. Um, but we want to make sure that we do that in a way that's consistent with American values, that's consistent with our obligation um, to shelter refugees and to treat people humanely. So I, I'm glad that the Secretary of DHS is asking for resources to do just that. And consistent with the necessary uh, focus on the exigency. It really is a right now issue. Congresswoman Katie Porter from California, thank you for being on the show. You're always welcome here to make the case to the American people. Thank you. All right. So, you know that secret deal that the president's been teasing about the border and with Mexico and that Mexico says he doesn't know what he's talking about? Did you see this deal today? He claims it was all on the paper that he whipped out at the White House, but he wouldn't tell us what was on the paper. So reporters took all these pictures of the paper and tried to piece together what is on the paper. That's where we are right now. Let's bring in D. Lemon and see if he can help us make sense of the situation with his X-ray vision. Listen, it should be enough if Mexico is going to put troops on the border and have increased urgency. And if the tariffs help get them there, great, even if they were talking about it before. Why torture with what it is and what it isn't? The president had to tease today, not once, but twice. Actually, four times. That's the agreement that everybody says they don't have. But here's the agreement. It's a very simple agreement. So here's your thing. You know, they all say, oh, he does it. I I just give you my word. So right here is the agreement. It's very simple. 
It's right here. Look, I mean, he sent me a copy. It's right here. I mean, if you just look right here, you'll see it. I mean, there it is. What else do you need to see? The deal is done, but we just can't see it yet. So we've taken a closer. This is where we are. We had to take these snapshots of the piece of paper that he was waving at the press. And it looks like it does, in fact, mention Mexico and migrants. But is it things that they were discussing or is it new? Is he playing us? Does it matter? On Monday, the Mexican foreign minister held up his own piece of paper. He says no such secret agreement exists. D. Lemon, what do you got? I'm holding in my hand. You're not old enough to remember that, are Johnny you? Johnny Carson? <laughs> Karnak the Great. Karnak the Great. <laughs> One of the funniest skits on late night television. He's anything if he's a, if, if he's a showman. You know what I mean? I just don't get the need for the exaggeration here. I know people can say, oh, Mexico was doing all this before. Look, the threat of the tariffs moved them. You can say he shouldn't have done it this way. Brinksmanship doesn't work. It hurts our standing. It hurts them for the, uh, the authorization of the upcoming trade deal that they want to. You can argue all that. But isn't it enough? When it, why does he have to do that with the paper? He knows it's going to bring criticism. <laughs> because he can't help himself. Listen, I mean, whatever, you can feel the way you, listen, believe what, what you want to believe. I will believe it when I see it, because all of the reporting shows that Mexico had begun to do things, because he was saying Mexico had done nothing. Mexico had begun to do things in the way of trying to keep people from coming across uh, the border. They had ramped up security. They had, ramped up, they had done more arrests. Um, they had even released a statement on a, the Monday before um, you know, this weekend talking about what they were doing and what they had planned right. to do. And then the president comes out with this. So when I see the actual agreement and I look at what has been done before, then I can make an assessment. But if the, you know, if the history shows anything, uh, the president created this crisis so that he could come in at the end and Boy. say, look, I fixed it, and I've got the piece of paper in my hand, much like he, he walks into the briefing room and says, I've done it all. Make sure you tune in. It's going to be about, you know, He has uh, definitely oversold before, but this time the, the acting head of DHS, who's been a straight shooter in my reporting thus far, says, look, <clears throat> the amount of troops that they're putting on the border with Guatemala is going to be more and happen sooner that's than good. we had expected. I hope and it, that is good. I'll take it. progress where we find it. I hope that's it. Uh, good stuff coming up. So, you know, you remember the whole thing that happened with um, Hillary Clinton and the, and the president and his folks. They do the same thing with Nancy Pelosi. They put out the fake videos that she's drunk sure. or that Hillary, something is wrong with Hillary Clinton's death. Mm -hmm. Well, they're at it again when it comes to Joe Biden. And our senior media correspondent has put together the evidence that um, the president, the folks who in, I guess, who speak for him and also Fox News putting forward these conspiracy theories. And by the way, you remember in 2016, just so you know for the facts, you know who the most traveled secretary of state in history was or is as who? of this moment? Hillary Clinton. An exhaustive, record-breaking schedule. She went to more countries than any other secretary of state. Second in miles traveled, air miles traveled, only to Condoleezza Rice. So she had some stamina, a lot of stamina when she was the secretary of state. But they question her fitness or her health, I should say. If something's being doctored, expose it. Make sure people know what they're being sold. See, See you in a, a second. All right, now, you hear what happened today with Jon Stewart and the 9-11 first responders and survivors with Congress? It took a celebrity to get focus on this issue, and it shouldn't have. But now that there is focus on it, we can't keep forgetting the people we promised to remember. I'm going to lay out the situation. I'm telling you, you're not aware of it. You'll be outraged, too, and we have to argue for what happens next.
The video that is all the rage today is John Stewart outraged after a group of 9-11 first responders and survivors suffering from various illnesses were met by what he perceived to be a no-show Congress. Listen. Your indifference costs these men and women their most valuable commodity. Time. It's the one thing they're running out of. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. The argument, we have forgotten the people we said we would never forget. And if Stewart hadn't been the one to say this, if he hadn't been there, I doubt many of us would be aware of the event at all. And that bothers me. Now, to be fair, this was a subcommittee hearing, not a full committee hearing, so only 14 of the members were supposed to be there. The chairman's team tells us that 12 of the, of the 14 showed, but even then, many of them were floating in and out. The good news is the legislation that Stewart and the first responders are asking for to extend benefits until 2090 instead of just another few years, which keeps happening to them, is supposed to not only make it out of the committee easily, but to pass the House finally. But this isn't over. Be clear, this shouldn't be about Jon Stewart. What happened in that room today, people called heroes by so many being met when in need by only a few. It's a metaphor for how these first responders and other survivors have been treated for far too long. For all the calls to never forget, they have been forgotten. And I know this because I was there at the beginning. I reported on it all. I know I look a lot younger. I was. The planes hit the tower, I was there. The towers fell, I was there. And those I knew, some of them never came home. And in the aftermath, I reported on and tested the air quality. And it never made sense that what I could see with my eyes, you see this? I don't show this very often. You see this? This is what was all over. This is what was on me and the people I was with. And... We were inhaling it. It was everywhere there for months for the people who were working there. Then when we were saying what was obvious, well, how can the air be all the empty assurances from the mayor and the city? It's fine. It's fine. They were at best wrong and at worst hiding the truth from our heroes. And so these people have been fighting to have their health claims paid ever since. Did you know that? There was a fund from 2001. It was shut off in 2004. It took seven years for the federal government to open it back up under President Obama and start compensating for deaths and illnesses linked to toxic exposure at the World Trade Center, at the Pentagon and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It was re-upped in 2015. But more than five billion of the 7.3 billion fund has already been paid out to about 22,500 people. 700 of those payouts were for deaths that occurred well after the attacks because some of these illnesses don't manifest until much later. The problem is 21,000 claims are still outstanding. So I argue these people have been forgotten. And you should agree, because for many of you, be honest, this is the first time you're hearing about any of this. And now the fund is running out of money. Pending claims may only receive 50% of their value. The fund is scheduled to stop taking claims in December 2020. How? 
How can we do this to the same people we leaned on as harbingers of hope for virtue in society? Those who fought the fires and saved so many and cleared the rubble and showed that we could indeed carry on. Now that they're weakened by their willingness, we do nothing until a big star excites us with his outrage. Shame on us all for forgetting. We've left thousands to suffer like this man. You all said you would never forget. Well, I'm here to make sure that you don't. You made me come down here the day before my 69th round of chemo. And I'm going to make sure that you never forget to take care of the 9-11 responders. That's Detective Luis Alvarez. He came in pain, but with purpose, to tell the lawmakers that did show up, that they were being the opposite of the ideals that we thought we learned on that day. Breaks my heart, and it should break yours, that we could fail people who never failed us. This bill's going to pass, but it better fund claims until 2090. You men and women in Congress found more than a billion dollars to build a wall. Find the money for those who were there when the buildings fell on 9-11 and were there toiling long after most moved on. Show that you can do this and that you do it together. Do it because you made a promise to never forget, and we all forgot. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.